Hello and welcome. Welcome. It's I. <laughs> I'm Heather. And I'm Laura. We're sweet, sweet death. I don't know why. I was like, it is I? It's no. <laughs> it is I. Heather. Yeah, I don't know why that was that intro. Should we do that again? I like it. Let's okay. Just leave it. <laughs> cool. Uh, you're sick. Yeah. You had COVID last week. Yeah, for the... I don't know how I keep getting COVID, but... <laughs> Body's I feel just like I should up. be immune by this. Like, right? At this point. Yeah. Fucking hell. It should but. be like a Kevlar vest every time <laughs> fucking COVID shows up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe Kevlar vest was a bad example because bullets, don't they get like absorbed into the Kevlar vest? I don't know. They don't really ricochet off of them. I guess it's a good example. That cause... is a good example <laughs> because it finds you and it digs into yes. your neurons. Uh. <sighs> I don't know. Oh, we did not talk about The Last of Us, the season finale, which was incredible. And I really grew to like that actress a lot. Really? I I did. It was hard for me, but I think by the end of everything, I did like her better. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Not your favorite. That's okay. Hey, we listen. Not everybody's going to love it. That's all right. Um, I think it's hard for you probably because you are a purist. Yeah, you I really are. Am, so you're one of those fans. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, I felt like it was a little rushed just compared to the game. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. the show though, so I was trying to be like open minded about it. But yeah, I think Didn't it was good overall. Like I would yeah. say seven or eight. Okay. All right. Yeah, <laughs> seven or eight out of fifty. <laughs> Um, but I, I really did love the hell out of it. Robbie has a Pedro Pascal, like, obsession. Oh, really? Yes. Like, in fact, on my computer, like, as a shortcut, it's, like, some Pedro Pascal <laughs> photos that she, like, put on she there. She's gonna rip down her, uh... She, she did, like, print up a whole bunch and then, like, put them shrine. all over her school, yeah. actually. Oh, <laughs> As, nice. like, a yeah. She to... should do the pyramid the face pyramid again like she did with obama but... oh that's right <laughs> <laughs> so first it was ryan reynolds which understandable yeah and then it was pedro which i don't know also understandable it's nice taste nice. yeah i think so yeah. also <laughs> the girls got it i'd say <laughs> um but then we we watched uh the unbearable weight of oh, massive talent yeah with a uh, nick M- nick cage fuck yeah playing yeah. himself oh my <laughs> yeah. god Dude, it so, was fucking hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and then I was incorrectly calling it the massive weight of talent for like three weeks to people. Yeah, I was like, have enough. you seen that movie, The Massive Weight of Talent? <laughs> and then finally I realized at work and then someone goes, yeah, I knew you were saying it wrong, but I didn't see anything. <laughs> Fuck you. It's funny how some people get so offended when you correct them and then others are like i wish you would have told me that right yeah like yeah. why would you let, let me, me just, yeah keep going <laughs> actually it's that kind of relationship where it was funnier that way oh. that they did not okay. correct me it was uh it was the right call nice yeah oh mm-hmm. have i seen you since you had invited me to that hockey game or no I don't think so. How was that? Dude, it was fun. Yeah. It was good. They got their asses handed to Aww. them. But they fought, you know. They put their <laughs> whole pussy into that yeah. game, man. Were there any fights? Um, or no? Like, do they do that at Minor games? ones. Yeah. Real minor ones. It's not. Because yeah. I, the first time I saw it, because I saw <laughs> hockey once when I was a kid at like the Anaheim Pond back and it was still called that. And the Ducks were playing. They were like that newer team because of the movie. And uh, 
I remember liking it, and then I hadn't seen it, didn't watch it on TV. I don't really watch sports. And then we went to that hockey game at CC, and I was like, this is so violent. Not as, like, an offensive thing, but I was just surprised. And they, like, the people I was with all looked at me with disgust, and they were like, this is nothing. Like, you need to watch NHL, (laughs) where they spit teeth out. So Yeah, I I really want to go to, like, an avalanche game mm-hmm. or something in Denver and see people get right beat, beat up. the fuck up. Yeah. I agree. Okay. So, <laughs> cause the girl that I went with, her dad has like seats and, um, yeah, she's like very familiar with CC hockey. She's been going since she was like a kid. So okay. she's kind of obsessed. Yeah. So she loves hockey. That's like the only thing she loves. So I think we could probably <laughs> have some insider tips on how to get yeah. some good tickets. Yeah, we should ask. I think it would be fun. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, I can I tell you a funny story? Oh, yeah. Okay. So we had Bill and Lori over on Friday and John had to sit it out because he's sick too. He's like coughing his lungs oh, out. No. But uh, so they start the evening off with an edible, like a 50 milligram mm-hmm. edible. And I did not. Um, I was waiting till closer to yeah. the end. And we're, we go, we smoke, we're, we like smoke a couple times. It's not very much, especially for them. They're like, yeah, they're fucking seasoned veterans, man. Like, yeah. Um, and then I notice (laughs) Bill's really struggling to like read the directions (laughs) and stuff. (laughs) And like, it goes on for a little bit. And then finally I ask him like, Hey man, how's that edible treating you? And he goes, Oh, the edible. Was he like trying to figure out why the was fuck like, he was so high? What is wrong with me? No, he did, he forgot he was high. He's like, He's like I, I thought I was having a fucking moment. Like, dude, I'm dying. Yeah. So, wow, and funny. then instantly after that, he's like, "Oh, I'm enjoying this a lot more." So, <laughs> oh, fucking Robbie coming down here asking why we're screaming about it. Get out of here. She's just like, <laughs> "Yeah, get, go on and get." All right. Well. We're raising our 13-year-old right. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, it was so funny. It just like, click, oh, fuck, the edibles. <laughs> like, he spaced oh, it. He was so high, he forgot that he was high. Man, I cannot so, do edibles. No? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's like it's a... too much, too much. It's it's now becoming my nightly ritual, yeah. dude. It oh, really? really helps knock me How out. How many? Just one. Well, okay. Or like how much? One to two. It depends. But like, like gummies or something. Yeah. So they're they're fifty. Um, I got a tolerance. Insane. Insane. Yeah. I'm a big lady, man. I don't know. I'm I feel like huge. At that one little barbecue thing too, though, I remember you were like so high and you're just like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know what? My tolerance has gone up significantly yeah. since then. Yeah. Yes. Um. Yes. I can't quite keep up with Bill and Lori, but. By God, I do better than most. Sometimes I think about getting back into the pot nah. game, but I think it's good to be out. Yeah, I have a, I have really tried to reduce smoking because I noticed when I work out in the mornings, oh, I am wheezing. It. I'm like, yeah. like there was one time I was like hunched over the table, like struggling to breathe. Oh my God, I was like. It has to stop. Yeah. I do remember that. Like, after I had started working out and um, stopped smoking, it was, like, that cough. Yes, dude. It's horrible. So that's why I'm trying to, like, take edibles and really not smoke nearly Hmm. as much during the day. I'd I'd like my tolerance to go down just a little bit. Yeah. 
And I don't want to vape either. I don't yeah. know. That shit still scares I've me. I see so many people dying like, oh, they quit smoking cigarettes and now they... Yeah. Now they vape. Dead because they're fucking vaping for four years or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Just uh, I think the the research still needs to be done on it. The studies haven't really been done on it. It's yeah. still not FDA approved. I don't love that. It's basically like cigarettes and big tobacco owns all the vape yeah. companies i i don't love it you know yeah. i don't know something's gonna happen yeah just uh studies on like the scarring of the tissue like and the lungs worse, and, like yeah yeah so anyways <sighs> there's that oh yeah when robbie got in trouble i think we did make her write a little bit on the dangers of vaping yeah because did she get caught vaping or something she had a vape yeah but like these things happen and dude it's like i haven't heard any stories where kids weren't vaping so it it is really (laughs) everywhere so but it was like not in my house yeah garrett was vaping a lot oh yeah for a while and then he stopped thankfully because he was like one of those like mega vapors to like constant cloud yeah yeah so have you ever seen the vaping tricks though? Like the smokes where they like push a smoke ring yeah. and like rings through the ring. And I do love watching that Me shit. Me too, yeah. It would be so cool, but I'd have to vape and I don't want to do that. I like doing the ones where they'll blow them onto like a surface and it like waterfalls down. Yes. Uh, our friend Jake, he can do the little tornado thing. He can like pull oh. it up and it makes this little Whoa. like. That's yeah. cool. And then we were smoking in the cat room and he was doing like little smoke rings <laughs> and, then, and then i like crushed it between my hands and i was like oh sorry i just smashed your hole bro <laughs> so then he did more and then bill started smashing him oh, wow. i don't know we were just ran a train on smash <laughs> damn i wish we had said that Well, I know your throat is probably killing you, Mm -hmm. so did you want to just get it over with? Yeah, might as well, might as well. Pitter-patter, let's get at her. I'm scared to try to fucking read this right now, so Mm -hmm. let's hope. You got this, girlfriend. I don't suck. Okay. So today I'm going to be talking about John Paul Knowles. Uh, He was also referred to as the Casanova Casanova Killer. Oh my gosh. Nice strong start oh uh, so he operated in the 70s and he was born in or- orlando and i picked him because obviously you know like i don't want to say ted bundy was my favorite serial killer because i feel like it's fucked up but i did like i don't know I just, he's like, the most interesting to you yeah i guess so there you go so i had almost wanted to talk about him but then i was like no i can't because he's just overdone mm-hmm. but while i was looking him up i found this guy and some were like oh worse than ted bundy this and that blah blah blah. and he was in florida so i was like fuck it oh so, yeah we're doing florida yep so yeah so he was born in orlando on april 17th in 1946 making him a florida native and an aries just oh, kidding yeah. <laughs> I, be funny to say that. I just always think about serial killers and their zodiac signs i'm like oh i wonder which one <laughs> most are i don't know what right. what have your findings been i that's my first finding oh um, <laughs> i'll keep track after this okay, <laughs> okay. Please do. yeah so um john paul john paul knowles had a troubled childhood his family frequently moved and they often lived in unstable living conditions i read that when he was interviewed about his childhood he said the worst thing that happened to him was just being born which same 
According to Knowles' brother, Clifton, there was physical abuse in the family, and if the family had been around today, all the children would have been taken away. So said his brother. Mm. His father was an alcoholic and frequently abused his mother, leading to several separations and reunions between the couple. Knowles and his siblings often saw their parents fight and witnessed some pretty violent behavior. As a child, Knowles was a loner and he struggled in school. He had difficulty making friends and was bullied by his peers. His family moved frequently and they attended um, several different schools. Did I just say that? Sorry. Anyways, uh, he just couldn't like establish any like real connections or sense of stability or community since they moved so often. Um, so his dad, his like biological father, passed away when he was 13 years old and then his mother remarried shortly after. And then this marriage was also just super shitty. Uh, Knowles and his stepfather frequently clashed. And then he dropped out of high school and began to exhibit signs of deviant behavior, such as petty theft and drug use. For some reason, while I was researching him, like, it was so bizarre. There was so much different information, like, different days of, like, birth and just, like, nothing was, like, consistent. Yeah, it was pissing me off. And then something had said, like, oh, he got put into a foster home by, like, his dad. And then they just left him there and never came back for him. But I don't think that was true because then I found all this and I was like, okay, this seems more accurate but apparently he did go to foster care at some point anyways um his troubled childhood likely played a role in shaping his personality and contributed to his eventual descent into criminality his experiences of instability violence and social isolation as some psychologists believe may have contributed to the development of psychological issues which in turn influenced his violent and antisocial behavior later in life um so as I said, he went to foster care, and I read tons of different stuff, but in one article, um, it said that he went to a Florida state school for boys that was, like, literally horrible, like, the <gasps> ones you hear about, like, where kids die and shit, and it said um, that out of the 300 boys sent there, 81 of them died on the grounds, but again, I don't know how accurate this was. Do but... you know the name of that school? No. It just I... said... Why? It wasn't the Mariana school, was it? I don't know. In Mariana? I think it was, actually, yeah. Oh, my God. That's what I'm doing today. (gasps) Oh, really? Yes. Dude, it was so funny because when I was researching this and I saw that, I almost (gasps) wanted to do that school. I'm so fucking happy you did it. (laughs) That's so funny. Well, nice. Okay. Right on. I I wanted to talk more about it, too, and I was like, okay. So, we'll get to hear that soon. (laughs) Soon. (laughs) All right. Uh, So... Yeah, um, I lost my spot. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was f- screaming about schools. No, it's okay. Okay, so yeah, um, it sent him into a depression, being in the foster care there, and probably contributed to his violent behavior, since you know he f- probably felt rejected by his already shitty parents. Um, so his first incarceration happened when he was just nineteen for attempted burglary, and he ended up serving three years in the Florida State Prison, and then he was released in 1971, but then he ended up being arrested again shortly after for something similar, so he wasn't even a good criminal. He escaped from a prison work camp, and then he was recaptured after, like, three weeks, and then because of this, they charged him with resisting arrest and just a bunch of other shit, and he went to jail again, and then while he was serving time in Rayford, I think is how you say it. He began corresponding with a California divorcee named Angela Kovic, and they basically became pen pals. Apparently, they took a liking for each other, and she began visiting the prison, and then eventually accepted a proposal of marriage. I always find it so crazy when these ladies, like, pen pal dudes in prison, and... 
there is some deep psychology at work going yeah. on. It's so interesting. Anyways, um, she was a cocktail waitress and she was from San Francisco and apparently had just gotten out of a pretty bad marriage. And I think there was even some stuff I read that she was married while she was talking to him. I don't fucking know. So funny enough, I guess she had gone to like some spiritual person, psychic lady and the psychic warned her about a dark, angry man who would come into her life and to be very cautious of him. So apparently as soon as she saw him, like legit, like he got off the fucking plane, she said she felt a dark aura like surrounding him mm. and was terrified and called off their marriage. Oh, shit. Yeah. And then there's rumors that that night uh, that she called off the engagement, he went out and killed three people on the street of San Francisco, which they can't confirm this, but based on what I'm about to tell you, I wouldn't fucking doubt it. Cool. And definitely sounds like villain origin story to me. So anyways, Angela sent him back to Florida where he really began to spiral after getting into a bar fight where he stabbed a man in Jacksonville. And I don't know how many people escaped like from prison back in the 70s, but it seems like it was always fucking happening. Like one out of every two escapes. Yeah. Like if I got told I was going to jail, I'd be like, oh, okay, it's fine. Because he just picked the fucking lock of his cell and escaped on July 26th of 1974. And then this is when his crime spree um, began, much like Ted Bundy, just across like multiple states. So the night he escaped, he invaded the home of 65-year-old Alice Curtis. She was a retired school teacher and had been home alone. Um, he left her bound and gagged as he ransacked her house for money, and then he finally took off in her car. She choked to death on the gag, and then one article oh I read said God. it was because she had, like, dentures, because she was old, and it caused her to, like, choke, and I just oh. thought that was so sad. It's just, like, this little Fucking old lady. Yeah. Jesus. Which I'm just going to say, too, he killed so many old people, I feel like, like just, like, targeted elderly Ew. people, and that just, I feel like, makes me hate him even more, so. Yes, what a lazy, weak yeah. murderer. So sad. So, um, yeah, so he stayed in Jacksonville for a few days. He used Alice's vehicle, and then police ended up connecting him to the crime, and his picture began turning up on TV. So he knew they were after him, and he was obviously driving her stolen car. So he wanted to dump it, so he just drove to, like, a residential um, area. While doing so, he spied 11-year-old Lillian Anderson and her 7-year-old mm. sister, Milette. Uh, they had been left home alone on that day, August 1st, at around 6 p.m., I guess, their mother had left. And she called them just, like, an hour after she had left, around 7. Everything was normal. They answered the phone. But then I guess their aunt called later. And no one answered. So then, apparently, I feel like, just like in all of these situ situations, the father was a commercial fisherman, and he had um, gotten delayed somehow by, like, a faulty, faulty boat motor. So he ended up being late, and by the time he did get home, Annette and Milette were nowhere to be found. The doors to the house were shut, but not locked, and there were no signs of forced entry. Nothing was missing from the house except a baby doll that Milet owned and the family's small dog, which usually I guess he was just running around the house, but he was shut up in a bedroom, which uh -oh. I think was like some kind of indication that the guy, John, went into the home, but yeah. it didn't really say so. Um, So I guess he had recognized the little girls as friends of his mother, which confused me because they're like eight and 11, but mm -hmm. I don't know, like acquaintances or something. Yeah. And he became convinced that they recognized him and they were going to notify police. So, he kidnapped both of them and dumped their strangled bodies in a swamp outside of town. And it's actually been 45 years since they were abducted, and they still have never been found. Oh, wow. 
They would both nearly be like 60 today, so pretty sad. Sad. Um, yeah, this dude was legit on one because the day after killing the sisters, he broke into the home of 49 year old Marjorie or Marjorie. I don't know how to say it. And he strangled her with a nylon stocking and then he stole her TV in Atlantic Beach, Florida. Um, on the 2nd of 1974, of August, sorry. So, um, at the time that all of these killings were happening and Knowles was, like, on this spree, none of the crimes were being linked to each other, um, until after he had recorded his confessions, like, on an audio tape and mailed it to an attorney. And so, the tapes were never released to the public, but they were reviewed by a grand jury in 1975, and along with all the transcripts, they were destroyed after being ruined in a flood or something like that. So they ended up getting lost. I don't know at what point, like before his trial or after. But yeah, so um, I'll probably mention them at different times, though, uh, throughout this, like the tapes. So um, on one of these tapes, he talked about a girl named Alma or he referred to her as Alma. But I think he got her name wrong because she was later identified as a 13 year old hitchhiker named Ima Jean Sanders mm. and she disappeared on August 1st in Warner Robins, Georgia and her skeletal remains were found in April of 1976 there wasn't much more I could find about her but she was the fourth victim in his killing spree about 20 days later on August 23rd Knowles forced his way into the home of Kathy Sue Pierce in Missoula, Georgia um, Knowles strangled Pierce but left her three year old son physically unharmed and I found an old newspaper clipping from the Atlanta Constitution online that said she was found by a neighbor who often checked in on her and her um, son. And she was found inside of her bathroom with the telephone cord wrapped around her neck. She had been divorced for about six months. So the only witness to the slaying was her three-year-old son. Thankfully, he was left unharmed. But yeah. still. I know this is kind of weird. Like, I was just thinking about it while I was typing this. Like, the whole telephone cord around her neck thing is, like, uh. such kind of like a... I don't want to say, like, classic way to die, but, like, just because there's no more, like... Yeah, yeah, it's it's no one, very few people will ever again be murdered by telephone cord. I guess kind of stupid, but I don't know. I thought it was... No, I mean, honestly, it's it's kind of a thing of the past, man. I don't know that this house... (laughs) has any phone cords yeah i guess you're it'll probably be your phone charger yeah (laughs) Yeah. shit all right so on september 3rd Knowles ended up meeting businessman william bates at a tavern in lima ohio wait is that how you say it okay i don't know how do you spell it l-i-m-a yeah it should be lima i was traumatized from when i went to boot camp very briefly yeah Sorry, it's going to be a short story. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to say uh, Lima, but I would say Lima or something like that. And yeah, I just got not... embarrassed in front of a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so they shared a few drinks, this William Bates guy and him. And he eventually ended up strangling Bates, stripped his body, and then dumped his um, naked body in the woods somewhere where it would be discovered in October, a month later after his wife had reported him. Why do you ask? So that he could steal money, credit cards, and of course, Bates' car. So Knowles made his way to Sacramento, back through Utah, pausing at Ely, Nevada, um, long enough to murder elderly campers Emmett and Lewis Johnson on September 18th. So apparently the night of their murders, Nevada Highway Patrol had been notified of screams coming from an isolated truck stop where Emmett and Lewis were found shot dead just a few days after the fact after like mm-hmm. the screams were reported 
I guess there was unfortunately some sort of mix-up because the report was never passed to the sheriff deputies. So they found out that like following Saturday after the murder that someone had called and said they heard screams as they passed the truck stop and drove 20 miles to the nearest payphone. And I guess some people say like this cost them their lives, but I mean, this dude had to drive 20 miles to get to the phone. Yeah. And then I think I read somewhere else that the sheriff was 43 miles away or something. So yeah, really, I don't know how much of a difference that would have made but definitely like tragic and scary like Mm -hmm. um i read in uh i read this in this paper from 1974 and it was literally like five days after this happened or something so they didn't even know who the killer was while i was reading it so it was kind of just eerie i don't know yeah anyways his next victim would be 42 year old charlene hicks and she was reported missing by family on September 22nd, 1974, after she had left for Houston and never returned. Her body was discarded beside the road on September 25th, near a rest stop outside of Seguin, Texas. Her vehicle was also found at that rest stop. Uh, he spotted her on the side of the road, I guess, broken down or something, and stopped to help. And then um, raped her, strangled her, and then drug her body through a tangled barbed wire fence. Holy shit, man. Yeah. So... Literally a day later, on September 23rd, he met a beautician, Ann Dawson, in Birmingham, and instantly caught her fancy. They traveled together at her expense, I guess, until Knowles tired of her and killed her on September 29th. Some say it's unclear whether she was actually willingly traveling with him, but either way, her body's never been found. He claims he threw her into the Mississippi River. On October 16th, 1974, Karen Wine and her 16-year-old daughter, Dawn, were bound, raped, and strangled after he broke into their house in Marlboro, Mm -hmm. Connecticut. The only thing they found missing from the home was a tape recorder. He had already traveled um, through, I think, like Oklahoma, Mississippi, I don't know, some other states without killing anyone. And this was kind of like his next fix or something like that. Yeah. Um... They say that they know he was the perpetrator, and it didn't say whether or not that tape recorder that he took was the one that he used to, like, record his confession and mail to that attorney, but I thought it was kind of bizarre, like, just to, like, steal this fucking tape recorder from these people you killed and then use it to confess. I don't know. I mean, that's a probably, uh, I don't know. It's probably some really sick fantasy yeah. fucked up shit. Yeah, it's nasty. So, uh, two days later, October 18th in Woodford, Virginia, Knowles broke into the home of 53-year-old Doris Javi, shot her dead with her husband's rifle, and then wiped his prints from the gun and placed it beside her body. Police didn't connect the murder to any of the others at this time because they found no signs of, like, sex or robbery to offer them motive in the case. Uh, So he was still driving that guy who he had met at the tavern's car when he picked up hitchhikers in Key West. Thankfully for them, he was stopped by a policeman who I'd say was a freaking dumbass because he was driving the stolen car from that victim William Bates but the officer let him go with a warning but he was like freaked out enough to just drop the hitchhikers off in Miami and didn't kill them man they are lucky yeah um so after this Knowles I think used that tape recorder as I said um and recorded his confession and then sent it so it arrived in the mail at some point um on november 2nd edward hillard and debbie griffin disappeared while hitchhiking near Macon. hillard's body was found in the nearby woods while griffin was never found i don't know if he actually confessed to these murders but police believe he was the culprit on november 6th 1974 in 
Milledgeville, Georgia. Knowles befriended Carswell Carr. Wow, that's a horrible name. I didn't realize that. I typed it. And invited him. I guess they invited him to stay at their house or something like that. And then he stabbed Carr to death and strangled Carr's 15-year-old daughter, Amanda. And then he tried to rape her dead body, but apparently he couldn't. Yeah, thankfully. So after, I guess, he was bar hopping in Atlanta on November 8th, where he met British journalist Sandy Fox and impressed her with his good looks, in quote. They spent the night together, but I guess he can only have sex if he's trying to kill someone because he was unable to perform in bed and failed repeatedly at sex for the next two days, uh, suggesting that he was possibly, like, able to... I guess, mm. perform with a mm. willing companion. So gross. Blah. So he parted ways, or they parted ways on November 10th. And then the next day, Knowles picked up an acquaintance of Fox, Susan McKenzie, and demanded sex from her at gunpoint. She escaped and notified the police. And when patrolmen tried to apprehend him, Knowles brandished a sawed-off shotgun and made his escape. So days later, in West Palm Beach, Florida, he invaded the home of Beverly Maybe, which said she was i think she was like mentally disabled or something yeah and then he abducted her sister barbara stole their car from there he traveled to fort pierce and um the following night or sorry i typed that wrong he arrived to fort pierce the following night and then i guess that barbara chick she had um published a book about this because she like survived called the one survivor she was like raped and then held captive before he released her so anyways a police officer recognized the stolen car um that morning and pulled Knowles over but Knowles ended up being able to take the officer hostage and then he used that officer's car to pull over another motorist and then used that vehicle like made them all get into that vehicle so he wasn't in like a cop car and then had two hostages so by that Sunday November 17th he had already executed his two hostages. He left them handcuffed to a tree in the woods near Big Indian Creek, just south of Macon. And then, like, a, what would it be called? Like an APB or something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. Was set out for the stolen blue Ford Grand Torino. Um, multiple roadblocks had been set up throughout northern Florida, southern Georgia, and southeast Alabama. When he was spotted by police near McDonough, Georgia, his luck had finally run out. He totaled the Gran Torino after ramming a freaking barricade in the intersection of Highway 42 and then immediately fled back into the woods. Um, he was still armed and dangerous, but was obviously fucked up because he rammed a barricade. Uh, he would come back out or appear four hours later in the backyard of a Vietnam War vet who had just returned home from a hunting weekend. So he dropped his jammed shotgun, surrendered, and I guess concluded one of the most intensive manhunts manhunts in georgia history oh wow uh they took him to the medical office of dr joseph a blissett for a brief exam and then transported him to the henry county jail so obviously this guy was a fucking narcissistic asshole psychopath um he ate up like the fucking glory he felt he gained from these crimes and apparently he was fairly handsome and charming much like ted bundy was you know that's why they called him the casanova killer Hmm. and yeah, he just loved, like, the media attention and had even promised that, like, oh, once my, like, story's told, it'll be 
good enough for the silver screen. So Ew. Yeah, I know. So sadly, he would never make it to trial, but he still got what he deserved. On December 18th, 1974, he was riding in the back seat of a marked county car while Douglas County Sheriff Earl Lee drove and GBI agent Ron Angel rode in the front, allegedly on the way to show them the location of the discarded gun used to murder the Florida Highway Patrol trooper that he had, like, tied to the tree. He shot, or Angel shot Knowles three times in the chest after the killer picked up or picked his cuffs with a paperclip and reached over the seat to snatch his gun from his holster. There were allegations made in the newspapers that it was an execution. Just, like, yeah, yeah, I don't fucking know. So, anyways, it was never proven, though, so, yeah. I don't think they would have done it in the car. Yeah. I think if it was planned, would you do it in the car? I don't know. Right? I'd take him out of the car and be like, oh, he hopped out or something Uh, and, like, shoot him there. He reached for my gun when we were looking for it in the forest. Yeah. in a closed quarters where it's loud as fuck yeah, like it's pretty yeah like in a car yeah that's a good point yeah so much could happen too like yeah anyways that's the terrible fucked up life death and murders of serial killer john paul Knowles. my sources were first of all a bunch of different newspaper clippings from that newspapers.com mm-hmm. uh, site and then i used the murderpedia um wiki uh an article called capturing john paul Knowles." um written by clifford davids and then a news for article about those missing sisters by steve patrick and then that was it nice yeah the casanova killer he yeah. was busy what would, did, did it have a total body count i think it was um they they estimate like somewhere between like 35 like oh my maybe even total god but yeah those were just like i think 18 of them or something i don't yeah. know how many i just listed but yeah, dude, it was crazy, especially because it was, like, I've never really read about someone where it's just, like, almost every day or, like, back-to-back, like, every other fucking day he's killing someone, like. Yeah. It was pretty That's insane. you're like, he managed to get through Oklahoma without killing yeah. anybody. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how, it's but he did crazy, it. crazy, yeah. But, yeah, that was him. Sorry, I felt kind of rambly during that. But. No, dude, it, it flowed. <laughs> right. It was good. Mine's about to get rambly. Because right. it was hard to organize the information. There's, like... There was so much of it, as yeah. always. So I did, it was called the Author G. Dozier School for Boys, but it's it had, like, several names. A lot of people referred to it as Mariana, just because yeah. that was, like, the town it was in. Um, all right, let me get to my, right. to my story. I'm going to take a drink. All right. So this is really, it's more about... Um, the White House Boys. Uh, that was kind of more what I fashioned the story off of. But, all right, let's get all after right. it. On February 7th, 2023, the Victims of Reform School Abuse was filed in Florida long after the Arthur G. Dozier School for Boys was officially closed in 2011 for budgetary issues. Um, I saw some other sources that said it was because they did an investigation and found it to be violent, but it also wouldn't shock me if they ignored it and it was just for budgetary issues. So, um, and it was, uh, and even longer since unmarked graves were found on the property by a contractor, the school had been opened in 1900 to be a model for troubled youths. Many boys over its century long reign had the displeasure of living at the school by maniacs. 
um, run by maniacs, and those were just uh, the ones lucky enough to make it out. Uh, Long had the school been known for its abuse from both locals and outsiders alike. Decades later, the truth couldn't be silenced any longer. Hundreds of men that had attended the school as boys had been loudly recalling their time spent um, there, which included brutal beatings, exploiting physical labor, and some sexual assault. Uh, Today, I'll be talking about the Dozier School and the White House Boys. So just to throw that out there, there is, uh, you know, a fair amount of description of violent abuse towards children and also some sexual assault stuff. So um, Mariana, Florida was one of those towns that struggled post-Civil War, having relied so heavily on slave uh, slave labor in the past. Um, Like all other southern states, they tried to fill the gap with convict labor as its loophole. So sadly, this was common practice. Florida was so terrible with the way it treated people that around the turn of the century, the U.S. House of Representatives... Uh, investigation committee declared that states that the state's convict labor was a system of cruelty and inhumanity so like that was just how they were treating prisoners that probably like had not done too much terrible stuff i feel like that's wrong i'm gonna cut that out (laughs) (laughs) but um but yeah so i mean the state of florida it's treating people very shittily so When the school was constructed, William Milton, chairman of the board of the school for the boys, um, had ideas. He was the grandson of a Civil War era governor, so he most likely had some ugly notions about minorities, specifically black people. He was uh, the one that discovered the boys could be hired out to work in Mariana's fields much cheaper than hired adults. So he figured out he could exploit these boys for their labor very quickly. Um, The property was self-sustaining with over a thousand acres of farmland, not to mention it had a brick plant, it had a wood shop, it sold lumber, there was an excess of produce, like it had it all. So sadly, his reform school, though, didn't have enough bodies to fill those roles since at the time it was only for minors having committed serious offensive, uh, I'm sorry, offenses, which was less than a few dozen kids. To access more labor, Milton reached out to the to then-Governor William Jennings to allow incorrigible children be sent without conviction for an indefinite period. So basically, if they're just annoying, you can send them to this fucking school. Um, Jennings happily obliged. The next governor didn't want to feel left out, so he eliminated the fees counties had to pay to send the boys there. So it's cheap. Uh, They're sending boys there for all kinds of silly reasons and no one's paying attention to what they're doing. So were the boys being paid or just like like the state? The state's getting all the profits. Yeah. I mean, they like pay for the boys to eat and house them and shit, but it's like they're not getting anything out of it. Um, So, yeah. Okay. With all the people he needed, the property could now be a proper cash cow um, to the point that Milton was always bragging about what a great profit they were turning, being sure to use language like reforming and not exploiting because, yeah, like the black kids there told stories of being tied up like a fucking chain gang and beaten if they were moving too slowly, like going and doing shit. It was terrible. So from its opening, the Florida Reform uh, School for Boys, or whatever they were calling it that week, was steeped in controversy. First, it was mostly black boys that got sent there. 
um, just because that's what America does. And then second, it only took three years of operating before people started to notice some fucked up shit was happening there. Investigators found children in irons, just as common criminals, and stating that it was no more than a prison for children. Within a couple decades of that, it was discovered that administrators hired out the boys to work uh, with state convicts and that students were being beaten with leather straps. But for sure, like, the black boys always got the worst punishment from either just the beatings or the kind of work they had to do on the property. Like I said, they were on literal chain gangs. Um, the mentality of the school was that the black side was, like, the convict side. Um, so, again, because information could get jumbled, I believe that the original number of dead per the school records were somewhere in the 30s. Uh, so today's numbers puts it over a hundred deaths, ages six to 18 that have taken place at the school between the years 1900 and 1973. There had been a fire that broke out in 1914 that for sure they know killed six students and two staff. The controversy surrounding that sad story was that the superintendent as well as staff had been out that evening looking for some nighttime fun, so to speak. So that fire happened while they were out getting laid, basically. Oh um, in 1918, 11 died from an influenza outbreak. Those deaths were known and seen as unfortunate, but it wasn't until decades later that the stories finally started to hit the mainstream and hundreds of men stepped forward to describe their experience at Dozier School. Um, there wasn't too much on the school between the flu deaths and the 50s. A lot of the horrible detailed stories of abuse come from the children that had lived there um, in the 1950s and the 1960s. So the crimes they committed to get to get there were hardly crimes at all. Even the destructive ones were really guilty. We're kind of just guilty of being little teenage shits like like dumb shit, you yeah. know, like vandalizing the school or running away. Shit like that got them sent here and like just beaten. So... But things as simple as running away could land one in Mariana or spitting or cursing or even more heartbreakingly guilty of being an orphan and not being able to be placed anywhere else. Like some kids just literally had nowhere else to go and they just got sent to this fucking yeah. school for nothing. Um, yeah, they were just guilty of having no parents. So anything could get you beaten there. Low grades, bad arithmetic or spelling, looking at an employee wrong, maybe even giving a little sass. So the man that got the ball rolling, his name was Roger Dean Kaiser. He was forced to stay there from 1959 to 1961. He was one of those that was guilty of being an orphan. He hadn't done anything. Well, I guess he was caught running away. But again, like yeah. you're running away. You're a kid. So he was caught running away from the Children's Home Society in Jacksonville. Uh, his experience was similar to many others. It wasn't long until after he arrived that he took his first steps into the White House. Uh, he said that when they told him he was going to be sent to the White House in the superintendent's office, he became visibly upset. So he had heard about the White House. Like, it was this little brick white building that that was where they took you to, like, get the beatings. Oh um, so he had heard about it from the other boys. Everybody knew about it. You did not want to go to the White House. So he hears he's going there. He starts kind of getting freaked out but the staff picks him up and they tell him to get over it ignoring that the fact that this is a child in noticeable distress after waiting an anxious 30 minutes on a wooden bench outside the office door uh i guess he said it was so awkward just because other boys like know that that's where he's going and it's like no one can make eye contact you know like everybody just knows it's going to be the worst thing ever 
Um, so when he gets to the White House, he said the smell was noxious. Like it just smelled of old blood, of sweat and misery. Uh, within his first steps in, he was grabbed violently by his shirt collar, lifting him up off the ground and choking him. So he tries to claw at the collar to open up his air pipe, but he's thrown to the ground. And in the process, it breaks his nose. Um, they pick him up. They bring him into a room that contains only a mattress and like a dirty pillow to scream Ew. into and a large, I don't know if it was in the waiting, like where you had to wait or if it was in the room, but mm -hmm. they said that there was like this industrial fan that was like super loud that like it's, it was like very triggering for yeah. all of them. Like they fucking hated that sound. Um, that and they said it made like a horrible screeching metallic sound, yeah, you know. Sounds like a fucking horror. Dude, movie. it kind of is, man. So they commanded that he face the wall and hold on to the bar of the headboard. One of the men pulled an object from underneath the pillow. In only a brief glance he got, he saw that it was a large leather strap with a wooden handle. He'd heard about it from the other boys. Um, the rumor there was a rumor and there were some sites that like said that that was the case. And then some sites that didn't talk about it, but the rumor was that it, it was two thick pieces of leather with a piece of sheet metal sewn into the center. Oh my gosh, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if that's what it was, yeah. but I can't tell if that was ever confirmed or not. So either way, a, lar yeah. a large leather fucking strap. Um, so knowing what these boys went through. Oh yeah. I already said that. Um, so fuck. I already said all that. Sorry. I started <laughs> no, rambling, good. forgetting that I, I typed it out. Like, Oh, why did I do that? Um, okay. Uh, Knowing how bad the beating was about to be, Roger sort of had a bit of very under... Like, he freaked out. Like, he absolutely had a very understandable freak out. He went to leap up off the bed and was instantly hit in the face with the leather strap. It knocked him back. Roger said um, he fought to get out even though there was nowhere to go. He tried to climb literally the walls to get away. Like, there's, it's mm. just a brick room, you know? Yeah. Um, so the men just basically stood there and tortured him. Like, they were just hitting him all over his body he's trying to escape they're just beating the shit out of him um he said while this was happening he was screaming for his mother for god or for anyone to hear to come save him he was even crying out for god to forgive him from whatever harsh punishment he was receiving he did not understand why this was happening uh god never came roger said that maybe god was smart enough not to enter the white house not even to save a small child so Roger did not allude to how long, but for several minutes, the beatings continued, finally ending with the men telling him the exact same thing they had told him before, to put his hands on the bed rail and to not turn around. This time, Roger, as bravely as he could, he did as he was bid. He was beaten over and over again on like his butt and his back. Um, some of the blows landed on his hips. When they took him to the doctor, because apparently they, like, they had a doctor just like on the campus that was there all the time. Um, so they took him to the doctor on campus and the secretary had to ask him who he was because she couldn't recognize him. And he said he just had like this black and blue bloodied face. Oh Roger asked to use the restroom and he was scolded to make it quick, like, or else, like, or else what? Yeah. Like, you just beat the shit out of this kid. Um, yeah. So no sympathy over the bloody boy in the office means that this is not their first rodeo. This yeah. is probably not even their 20th rodeo. They've seen this exact same scenario play out lots of times. But as Roger's walking into the restroom, he mutters about how I'm going to tell somebody about this here when I get out one day. And then the man 
who apparently there was a, again, like a fucking horror movie, Laura, there was a one-armed man that (laughs) administered the beatings. This one-armed man replies to him, talk like that around here, we'll have you wake up dead one morning, sonny boy. So, like, there's already the threat of fucking death there in this Talk place. Like that again. Right? <laughs> like, with one fucking arm. Oh, oh, what a creep. So, anyway. When Roger looked in the mirror, he said it was a monster looking back at him. His face was covered in bruises, and when he looked, he discovered the rest of his body was covered in bruises, too. Pieces of his clothing had been beaten into his skin, which later had to be removed with tweezers. Years later, Roger finally learned what had sent him to the White House that day, receiving a completely irrational level of abuse. Someone thought they heard him say the word shit when he slipped off the diving board. Roger can't say for sure if he did or not, but he recalls being a child that did not swore or swore up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. He but, swore. He did not swore. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Uh, he was, you know what throw me off is that I forgot to write the word not in front of swore. And I put, but he recalls, oh no, being a child that swore. And I, I wrote that incorrectly, and then it just came out all <laughs> fucked up. Okay. He recalls not being a child that swore okay. ever. So why don't you marinate in that for a little <laughs> bit? Uh, so anyway, that was what happened to Roger. Um, another man's story, Robert Straley, and this is going to be a big chunk of it. Um, He was also a boy that was sent there because he was a runaway trying to escape an abusive household. He was picked up and shipped off to Mariana around 1963, uh, and they placed him with older boys that kind of bullied him. And I guess this was kind of common is you were just put in these cottages, and if you were kind of on the scrappy side, like, the older boys were coming for you. Like, I don't – like, they would try to beat you up, or some people – you know, said that they experienced or attempted experience of like sexual abuse and stuff. So it's not a good situation, but in any case, you know, he's a little stick kid. He weighs 105 pounds, but on his very first night, he was near a a conversation that was happening in, in the cottage of where he was staying. And these boys were talking about running away. They invited Robert to come with him and he declined. But in any case, someone snitched on everyone. And somehow Robert is included in this list of names and it's his first reason for being sent to the White House. This is his very first night there. He gets sent to the fucking White House. So they lined all of them up against the wall to make them wait one by one as the beatings were administered. So Robert said, first you would hear small grunts with every strike. Then you would hear small wails, followed by screaming, filled filled with pain. Um, He said everybody exited the room in a state of shock. And by the time it was his turn, he said he was at the very, very end of the line. So he was the last one to go in. He's hearing all of this. Um, He, too, felt like he was in a state of shock and that he did not have a good understanding of what was happening and why he said it felt like walking into a nightmare. Robert was given the same instructions to hold onto the bed rail and not turn around after it was all finished. They sent him to the showers and then sent him to bed. And he felt like he was pretty fucked up from it. Um, This same man described a very different experience too. He had been to the white house twice more since his very first visit. But it was the next one that haunted him for the rest of his life. He claimed that two men took him in the dead of night, one of them being the one-armed man. 
They placed a hand over his mouth so he couldn't scream. And he said within a matter of moments, he was in a car. They were taking him to what he assumed would be the White House. And instead, it was somewhere different where he was taken down a flight of stairs. He didn't get into too much detail, but he was sexually assaulted and then taken back to his cottage. He was only 13 years old, which is considered, at least at the time in the state of Florida, over the hill because you can only there's no statute of limitations 12 mm-hmm. and younger but if you're 13 and older then there's statutes of limitations yeah. and you can't so i don't know if that's still the law because yeah. the recording of this was in like 2014 mm-hmm. or something 2013 so mm-hmm. it could be outdated but that was the case um during this interview with him mm-hmm. so while still attending the boys' reform school, Robert did work with the doctors. Um, like It's just like a little job to do while you're there. Um, so he would help work with the doctors, complete tasks, and he learned some cool new skills. This also meant he was all too aware of what kind of punishments continued at the White, uh, at the White House um, by what kind of injuries he had to treat. One time he said he saw a boy so badly beaten that the boy's butt had like turned into hamburger meat. He oh said gosh. it was red, blue, and bloody. Mm-hmm. Um, The boy could only sit and cry out in pain as the wounds were being treated. He said the boy had received over 100 lashes, and that number was not so uncommon. Um, He, at one point, did accuse the doctors of drugging the boys, but there's no proof. There Mm -hmm. was no specific detail. It was kind of just, I think the doctors were drugging the boys. Mm -hmm. Um, He also claimed to have overheard two workers one day making comments about putting kids in the swamp. So... That just makes Ugh. them think that there's, like, yeah, bodies. Yeah, like, dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, another man, Andrew Puel, who had been sent there for flooding his school by turning on all the fire hoses. So just a dumb kid, but he was sent to Mariana anyway. He'd been doing uh, research over the decades on all the missing boys that were said to have been successful runaways. So here's where they think, like, maybe they could get away with boys just going missing. Um, to just say that they were runaways and there's no proof that they ran away. You can't, you can't say where they went. Um, but Andrew Puel, his whole thing was he was going to find the list of all the runaways and then see if he could find any records of them actually existing in the world. And, um, let's see, sorry. So, I mean, he did end up finding some, but there were a lot that he could not find any record of, um, and since juvenile records are sealed for 50 years, um, the current date they could only look up to, like if today, mm-hmm. the current date would be 1973, would be as far as they would be able to access. Mm. But they've been trying to do, you know, research for 20 years and it's like they've been held up. So before the earliest they would have been able to get records from was, you know, say 1950s or something so it's hard to figure out if these people are still alive yeah um so god sorry about our heater it's very loud (laughs) and and refrigerator and everything else um and i think my computer too fuck when robert and others started going public mariana residents started reaching out and this is like them as adults so mariana residents started reaching out to warn them that people might come after them um as had been the custom in the past, some had tried to speak out, I guess, in the past about the treatment of the boys, and they were met with, like, being attacked. So I guess some people claim that, like, they tried to burn houses down, you know, they would be attacked and stuff on the streets for speaking out against the school. And Robert said that there was 
if there was a runaway, word would get out, and, like, the men in the town would go boy hunting, where they would sit at crossroads and railroad tracks, knowing that eventually the boys would, like, need to cross somewhere, because there wasn't too many places you could go without being seen. Yeah. So it was very difficult to run away from um, the reform school. But, uh, yeah, just like private prisons, many people were employed through the school, and it brought in profits from the farm and other technical trades on the ground. So it was actually kind of a really sweet deal for Mariana. They did not want that to go away. Um, So, yeah, they just kind of, like, turned a blind eye. But so when the state of Florida couldn't pretend it hadn't done some fucked up shit in the past, they sent in the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, which was not super solid, Andrew Puel had been involved in the investigation and said that some of what he said never made it into the report. And the investigators treated Roger uh, Dean Kaiser and Robert Straley with disrespect. Um, So what Andrew Puel, he had told a story about they were doing when he was there, they were doing physicals Mm -hmm. and that one of the boys kind of had like he had an erection, I guess, because they all had to get naked. They were all doing like shots and stuff. Yeah. And one of the boys had an erection and that one of the doctors like touched him. And he said like, why didn't you put that in the report when he like called it out to the Florida department of law enforcement? And they said, Oh, well, because the doctor could just say that that was part of the examination, but they didn't include it. They just made an assumption and like left it out. Like this report is known for being just so shoddily done. Like it's kind of anyone that studied it, like knows that, it's bullshit so anyway um so even though the fdle did successfully find two dozen unmarked graves um kaiser straley and many others insisted that there would be more if they just looked hard enough so luckily the university of southern florida was interested in in actually helping these men and went in with with the state's permission i believe they used lidar which is a type of scanning um with like sonar on the ground. Mm -hmm. So the USF, the university of Southern Florida found 55 unmarked graves located in the woods, less than 200 yards from boot Hill cemetery, which was like the unofficial name of the cemetery on the property. But it's like motherfuckers. Like the, the school came in and like, they did your job. You pieces of shit. Anyway, sorry. I'm just me being angry. Yeah. (laughs) But um, even though for a few years the state dragged its feet and it wouldn't allow the university to excavate the graves, that's what like drove me crazy. What? They were like, okay, you found them, but no, you can't do anything with them. Um, so I think they were worried about what people would find, yeah. rightfully so. Eventually they conceded because like there was way too much public pressure because everyone's like, can you give us a reason why they can't? Yeah. And they like just kept sputtering. Uh, so finally they had to, hmm. to give in. But... um. Uh, the anthropology department felt that the survivor's stories were true, confirm or were confirmed based on the random depths and angles of the burials, meaning things were done mm, just not very well. So they were able to verify that most of the deaths were from illness, but that some of them were from more violent means like beatings, gunfire, and even drownings. Um, what's even more suspicious is the serious lack of paperwork for many of the deceased. Like they just didn't put anything. They just yeah. wrote deceased and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So after going through records, there are at least 185 names of children that were known to have had, uh, to have gone, but have no record of them leaving though. The numbers seem to be different on every website. Like mm-hmm. I said, I did read that it was somewhere around a hundred boys age, ages six to 18 between 1900 and 1973. 
Um, when the state finally got around to writing the report, they did so with minimal effort. When FSU associate professors stepped in to put some real work in after the government sputtered excuses as to why they couldn't exhume the bodies, the anthropology t team was able to identify, like I said, over a dozen bodies through DNA testing, something that the state could not be bothered to do for the families. Shit, I think I wrote, typed that out twice. Sorry. Whatever. We're going to ignore <laughs> that. Um, it may seem crazy as to how the school got away with so much, but really sending your boy, your young boys to a school to get them to behave was not so uncommon. There were hundreds of schools just like it um, all across the country. A 1910 census of juvenile crimes showed that 72 children per 100,000 were institutionalized for crimes that they may have committed. Um, so today's numbers are about 173 juveniles per 100,000, but back then the population was only about 30% of what oh, it is okay. today. So it's, okay. it's kind of a lot. In 2017, the state finally released a formal apology to the victims of the Dozier school, as well as the Okeechobee school, which is like some sort of like sister school, kind of the same story, okay. beatings, stuff like that. Um, recently, the Victims Reform School for Abuse bill was filed for those that were subjected to mental, physical, or sexual abuse perpetrated by the school uh, personnel during the period of confinement between 1940 and 1975. This is to help the victims get some sort of compensation. In this bill, unlike the report back in 2012 from the FDLE, they were included. Uh, they will include statements made by all the men about their time spent there, testimony from a former Dozier psychologist from 1958 who like did this under testimony, and he insisted that the, the treatments were brutal um, at the school. And uh, a 1962 report from a former Dozier employer, I'm sorry, employee, uh, who told law enforcement that several school employees were removed for making sexual advances towards the boys and also notes from the excavation from the FSU. Um, there was a memorial that was put up um, in actually January of this year. Oh. So, you know, it's it's kind of on people's radars right yeah. now, which is cool. So yeah. I hope they find some justice, but yeah. sounds like they all suffered for a really long time. Um, so my sources are, the biggest one was this video, uh, on PBS, this, um, oh, I, journalist, D.D. Sharp, uh, her segment was called Aware. I got more information from the whitehouseboys.com, the site made by Roger Dean Kaiser, who really got the ball rolling on this whole thing. Um, Tallahassee Democrat, an article from James Call, Guardian article, Richard Luscombe, uh, magazine.atavist.com, an article called The Bones of Mariana, dunhistory.com, um, written by Marvin Dunn, The New York Times, an article by John Elligan, uh, a Smithsonian article by Aaron Blakemore, an NPR article by Greg Allen, and then levinlaw.com is where I got my stuff from. I think I covered most of it. There was a lot. Yeah. There were just so many stories like and like very similar. Yeah, things, like yeah. one kid that, you know, he was going to get out, but they had a football team and they really wanted him to cuz he was like just a fit guy yeah. and like they weren't doing well and they wanted him to play and he didn't want to cuz he fuck? wanted to fucking leave yeah, and like he was like Yeah. And they like beat the shit out of him to to play football, and they ended up breaking a bone, like his the ball of his foot or something. Oh my god! And then they were like, "You're gonna play football. Don't worry, we'll just numb your foot so you can play football." Like oh just gosh. crazy shit. Yeah. So, 
uh, if that dude went to this school. No wonder he's a fucking Yeah, no wonder he's a piece of shit. <laughs> and then I think it was the Roger Dean Kaiser guy, because I, like I said, I missed so much stuff, that said that he saw them put a boy in, like, one of the industrial dryers. <laughs> And, like, he fucking died. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Or, like, saw them bringing him out or right. something like that. Yeah. So there were just... Oh, my God, yeah. And if you go to thewhitehouseboys.com, there are... You can click on, like, individual names mm. of people that just, like, voluntarily put their stuff in. Mm. Or even if it didn't happen to them, like, oh, I heard. Yeah. Or my friend. This happened to them. So, wow. yeah, if you want to go crazy. That's but so crazy. I can't imagine, like, the kind of people who let shit like that happen to, like, kids kids man so horrible and sad. i i guess when you don't value kids yeah i mean think about back in the time like people are kids are like working in mines yeah. and shit like there's no child labor laws fuck them yeah in the words of michael jordan fuck them kids <laughs> oh yeah it's crazy to quote yeah. the meme on the internet <laughs> um but yeah i don't know i uh, let me make sure it's still recording because i always have to pop over great still going strong so (laughs) i chatted for fucking ever um i guess we're gonna wrap it up yep all right oh cool all right until next time hit the road jack and don't come back (laughs) bye bye